This is Best Show Gems, the best of the best show on WFMU. My name is Tom Sharpling. I'm the host of the best show on WFMU. And I guess I'm the host of Best Show Gems also. As I said earlier, Best Show Gems, it's a sliver, a slice, a sampling of what we do during the full three-hour extravaganza that is the best show on WFMU. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this. Or actually, if you're working out, lean up and get excited and get ready to enjoy another installment of Best Show Gems. FMU, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. It's Stephen Jennings. Stephen Jennings? Yes. Oh, the author? Absolutely, yes. Oh, hey. Our, I thought we were... Uh... I thought we were on for our for the next hour. No, it's now. It's now. That's my notes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. okay. Stephen Jennings, the author. You are the author of a new book, uh, Bruce about Bruce Springsteen, who a lot of people are kind of talking about. I guess yeah. the book is part of the whole thing with people talking about Bruce Springsteen. It's called "From Greetings to the Promise: Bruce Springsteen, the Story Behind the Albums." And we have author Stephen Jennings on the line right now. It's great to be here. Actually, the, uh, the full title of, of, the, of the book is Darkness on the River's Edge in the USA, From Greetings to the Promise, Bruce Springsteen, the Story Behind the Albums. What was the, what was the name of the album? The book? Yes, I mean, the book, sorry. Darkness on the River's Edge in the USA, colon. Uh-huh. colon. Fr- from Greetings to the Promise, colon. Bruce Springsteen, colon, the story behind the albums. Okay, so that's the full title of the book. That's the full the title, book. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very well, excited that it comes out uh, 9 p.m. on uh, December 25th on uh, Penguin. Wait, when when does this book come out? 9 p.m. on Not, December 25th. A Christmas night. Yes, yeah. What? Okay, that's a little odd that your well, book would come out Christmas night. Well, publishers know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and uh, they, I guess they know who the, who the demo is, who's mm-hmm. interested in this sort of thing, not the mm-hmm. kind of people who would get caught up in the trappings of traditional Christmas, I, I, I guess. That's what mm-hmm. I was told anyway. Okay. Well, yeah. look, I, I am not in the publishing game, so I, I don't know. Yeah. Author uh, Stephen Jennings, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I'm very excited about this book. I, I, I can't wait to... Dig into it and yeah. talk about it. Uh, the, the book has been a, a a real labor of love for me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, if I have uh, some time, I'd love to give you a little backstory on myself and tell you where I'm I'm coming from on on this. Absolutely, I would love to hear it. Well, I'm a child of the '70s. Uh, as uh, a, a junior high schooler, I was very into you know the, the bands that the kids were into then: Kiss, Aerosmith, uh, Boston, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then I'll tell you, I heard uh, I heard Born to Run. When it came out, and it was just like the the doors of my mind exploded, it just just you know just hit by the that amazing piece of work. It just seemed like a, its own little universe right there. And it was also the time when he was on the cover of of, of both Time and Newsweek simultaneously. And uh, I just I I was just sucked into his world mm-hmm. from there on out. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. So that that's what got you on board with Springsteen. Yeah, and then I, I, of course, went to journalism school, and I ended up working my way up. I became an associate editor at Record Collector Magazine, uh, Billboard, and then eventually landed at Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book has been something I've been 
working on and very passionate about for years, and it's just it's so exciting to finally see it come out. And uh, I, I think it'll it'll shed some new light on a, a lot of people's favorite favorite pieces of work, uh, albums, songs, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it's I, I, th- I think people are really going to like this and really learn some amazing things that they didn't know about about Bruce and his music. A oh, great. Uh... For people tuning in, we have author uh, Stephen Jennings. He's author of Darkness on the River's Edge in the USA. Colon. Colon. From Greetings to the Promise. Colon. Colon. Bruce Springsteen. Colon. Colon. The story behind the albums. Yes, that's correct. Now you, uh, what, like what, is there... Uh, do you want to give us some stories behind the albums? Oh, I'd love to if you, if you have time. I mean, I, I, it's it's my Please. as I said, it's my passion. I just can't. I I could just talk about it for hours. Well, the the floor is yours. Okay. Well, thank Mr. you. Well, you know, of course, the uh, the remastered and and extras laden darkness on the edge of town box just came out. I'm sure yes. you've seen that in stores. It's, sure. It's it's it, it's quite a piece of work. It's it's got. Uh, live shows on the DVDs, it's got uh, the making of, it's got so many outtakes from it, it's mm-hmm. just an incredible package. And, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the centerpieces of, of, of the Darkness album is uh, a song called Racing in the Streets. I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you're aware of that song. Sure. Well, you know how, how the song starts off with the, uh, the character? Um, actually, the character, by the way, uh, the, the, this is a very l- little-known fact uh, about the darkness album um there was a whole unused backstory about the main character on the record and uh his his name is uh, or was rip r.i.p that was the the main character's name which was never used in the actual album rip. Uh, the original name of the character was going to be roger campbell uh-huh but bruce thought that that name sounded too much like a character in one of those elvis presley films sure it has a little bit of a you know, whatever feel to it. Kind of a generic sort yeah. of, you know, like Rick Richards or mm-hmm. something like that. But he he loved that name for some reason. And uh, but then you know, he realized that people might confuse that with a, a character from, uh, you know, Force of Habit or whatever mm-hmm. the Elvis Presley film was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, there's a uh, a manuscript in uh, a vault in Bruce's archives of the album's entire concept, uh, the original concept, and I was fortunate to have the opportunity to see that manuscript in 1998 when I was profiling Bruce for a Rolling Stone piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the story goes that Rip uh, worked as a stock boy at the Old Bridge Pathright in New Jersey. Uh, the grocery store. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, his his car, you know, his his car was his identity. Yeah, I, I think I think that comes through in the record as, as it stands. Also, sure, you know that the, he loved his car, and and he he uh, his two main things were his car and and, and his girl, mm-hmm. his girl Mary. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently, Mary was actually inspired by a, a a real life person in Bruce's life, a woman named um, oh, it was um, uh, Sheila Larson, I think was her name. And uh, anyway, Mary also works at the Pathright as as a, a checkout person. Mm-hmm. And Mary and Rip want to get married, but they they fear that they they don't by any means have have the means to start a family to live that kind of life. Uh, okay. N- mainly because um, Rip was uh, born without nards. If, what was that? He, he was born without nads. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's not talk. Let's try. I. I, I... 
thing. Okay, let's go forward. So that oh. so he had a, a medical condition. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was, I guess we could say that. I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I should have checked with you before. But I didn't know what your uh, yeah, censorship you, issues well, were. Well, if you wouldn't like mind, I, you know, just okay. keeping that in mind and maybe checking Absolutely. with me on the things. Absolutely. Anyway, okay. back, back to racing in the streets. Um, you know, the first couple lines are, are, are when Rip uh, talks with great pride about his car. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the original version of this song was very different than the, al- the, the version that ended up on the album. Um, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm certainly no Bruce, but okay. uh, if, if I can remember it uh i i i feel like I, re- I remember most of it or a lot of it i i'd, I'd be glad to like you know butcher my way through it because I, I i think your listeners would find it very interesting how this song kind of evolved and these are the these are the original lyrics mm-hmm. for the song racing that, in the street yes that did not end up on the album at all i think only the first two lines ended up on, on the okay. actual song sure yeah so um uh, something like, um, <clears throat> I got a 69 Chevy with a 396, fuely heads and a hearse on the floor, double chrome rings on the outer edge on each of its six tail lights. It's also got a wide trim running from the front bumper to the rear of the car. The Chevy Bowtie logo on top of the grill that I got at the Pep Boys downtown. It's got hideaway headlights and red line tires and a clear knob window crank with chrome plating. It's also got a stainless steel back rearview mirror with a solid steel mirror bracket. My car also has 64-inch seat belts bright red with a silver belt latch. And the floor mats are gray with two alternating stripes running each side in a vertical swoop. The brakes are six-piston calipers on 13-inch rotors. I got those at the CarQuest also downtown because they were on sale there. It's also got a forged crankshaft rods, 10.21 pistons, and the rear end is a Curry 9-inch with 4.56 gears on an Eaton True Truck differential. It's also got a Tremec Viper Spec 6 speed transmission. The plumbing is done with AeroQuip hoses. They were special ordered from Schistler Speed Shop. It's also got a Hydroform subframe up in front. The rest of the body is stock. The DSE comes with tubular upper and lower control arms with coilovers, a power rack and pinion C6 steering knuckles, and a sway bar. That's kind of all I remember of it, but uh, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Very that, different, isn't it? Because the original lyric is the first part that you had quoted Right, those there. first two lines, I think, yeah. But then he goes into the story about he's got his car parked in front of a 7-Eleven or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not this version. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, this, this particular song mm-hmm. is incredibly important in, in Bruce's canon of, of work. Mm-hmm. in that it's the first real peak that we, we get into the inner workings of Bruce Springsteen's greatest struggle. Which is, I, I'd okay. love to get into that if, if I could. Please. Well, like the, the, the kids of many working class uh, uh, parents back then, in, in, in the 50s, um, Bruce 
uh, absorbed a lot of his, his parents' fears, especially his father. Mm-hmm. And th- there was an overriding fear of being poor. Sure, okay. You know, and of ending up in the gutter in poverty. That was just, that was such a prevailing uh, feeling at the time, especially in that part of New Jersey, very working class. And that was always in the back of Bruce Springsteen's mind, his entire career. And, and, and it's, not just, it's not just, you know, contained to, to him. I remember seeing an interview with Johnny Ramone of the Ramones, where he said the same thing. It was just like, my biggest fear, this is right before he died, my biggest fear was that I'm going to lose it all. Hmm. So it was not uncommon at all for, you know, for the most successful rock people to, be, to still be feeling this well into their careers. Yeah, wow, wow. So Bruce thought that the sheer volume of, of car parts referenced in that original version of Racing in the Streets Mm-hmm. was bound to get him some kind of endorsement deal with either an auto parts manufacturer or an auto parts superstore. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he would save a fortune for the rest of his life on car parts. And what, what got him on this track, this super intense writing jag of this particular song, was he heard this song uh, called Manny Mo and Jack, by a Los Angeles uh, punk band called the Dickies. Sure. And he just panicked because he thought, he heard that song and he thought those guys, they were going to get the endorsement deals. Okay. So he went into overdrive riding racing in the streets and that's basically how it, how it came out the way it did uh, at first. And this is where Bruce's longtime manager, John Landau, is such an important part of the Bruce Springsteen story okay. and his, his success. Uh-huh. If nothing else, John Landau is the voice of reason in that whole scene. Okay, okay. Like how so? <laughs> it's funny. The, the number of times John Landau has talked Bruce Springsteen out of just these crazy or misguided ideas, it, it, just, it, it cannot be counted. Really? Yeah. yeah. And the, the main idea, the main thing, and it plays right in, into what I just told you about, his, his greatest fear of being poor, is that... Bruce is constantly toying with and struggling with giving up music and getting what he considers a real job. What? You mean like a job job? A day job, yes. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty interesting. He, he actually did get a day job in the years when he was in court with his former manager, Mike Appel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was terrified that his money was going to going to run out from the the the, uh, the born to run success. Uh-huh. So he did go out and he got a, a day job. Really? Yeah, it's the story behind the song "Factory" on "Darkness on the Edge of Town," which is another song about like a working class guy just grinding out his life in a factory. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bruce uh, ended up getting a job uh, at a, a a place in Newbridge, New Jersey, called Consolidated Cardboard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, when, when John Landau found out about this, he blew a gasket. So Bruce was, he got this job while yeah. he's still, so he's supposed to be writing songs, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, but he, 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 was, he was legally precluded from actually making what became Darkness on the Edge of Town yeah, because yeah. he was tied up in court. So during the day, Bruce is operating this m- machine that they called the Monster at Consolidated Cardboard. The monster. The monster. It, basically, uh, he would shove the 
the reject boxes, the ones that didn't make the cut for whatever reason, quality mm-hmm. control deemed them not not strong enough, okay. I guess. Yeah. So he so he had to shove these rejected boxes into this machine by hand. And the monster would first blast the cardboard with this intense flame. And then these blades would come up and start shredding the cardboard just like an inch away from his fingers. Wow. He could have been severely handicapped. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who makes his living playing guitar. Absolutely, yeah. And there's an amazing story about the the day that Bruce was presented with the platinum album uh, awards for born in the USA remember that was this massive that 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 whole two two year stretch of born in the USA was sure. huge those huge singles yeah it was just gigantic and this incident took place at, at the Grammys backstage and John Landau thought it would be extra special if he had Bruce's longtime accountant uh, Irving Slauson mm-hmm. present Bruce with a check for three million dollars just to show Bruce the, you know the the fruit of his labors, how how successful this record was, okay. and it was basically the realization of all of his dreams and all their dreams. Yeah. So Bruce takes the check and he you know he's smiling and getting his photo taken with everybody and he's shaking everyone's hand, but he takes Ir- Irving Slauson aside and he asks Irving if his firm might have any openings at the uh, for entry level positions. For himself? For himself, yeah. This is after he just got handed a check for $3 million. $3 million, yeah. 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 He was seeing if there was a position for himself to do what? Well, he, 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 apparently he says to, to, to Slauson, look, uh, I may not have gone to college, but I, I'm, I'm pretty good at math. Mm-hmm. And he started doing, doing these equations on like just a piece of paper that, that he found in a, uh-huh. in a pencil. Okay. And, but then he got all confused and he got fouled up and he got very frustrated. So he... Then, like, he went into Plan B, which was showing Irving how good he was at mopping. Mopping? Yeah, yeah, he, gra- he grabbed the janitor's mop, I guess, and just started mopping. Because he was trying to convince this guy to hire him as yeah. a janitor yeah. for what? For his building or something? I guess so, yeah. He, he just did not trust that he was going to be okay with this music career. Wow. Still, this is in 1986. Yeah, that's you crazy. Know, it, it, it's crazy. And, um,. I mean, to, to this day, there are still reports of him applying for jobs around Rumson. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Apply, like what? Like, or do you have any examples? Sure. You know those stores and strip malls that are super holiday specific. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Halloween store. Yeah, yeah. Well, every October first, Bruce goes to the one in um, West Eastbridge, and mm-hmm. he applies for just a normal job. To work, at what, like work retail? Like as, as a stock guy behind the counter, yeah. But there's there's this old Ukrainian guy who runs it, uh-huh. and he has no idea who Bruce is. It's, yeah. it's insane. Like he's an older guy, so he has no sure. concept of who Bruce is. Yeah. He doesn't recognize him. Or okay. So he makes Bruce wait in line with the other deadbeats applying for jobs, and and then he takes his application. Apparently, every year he looks at it and just goes too short to stock shelf and sends him off. To what, what does he say about Bruce? Too short to, sh- to stock shelf. Too short to stock shelf. Yeah. And he, and he rejects him. He rejects him every time, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Bruce tries to apply for a job and, uh, and gets shut out. Well, he doesn't always get shut out. My, my pal, uh, Hernando, he saw Bruce working at the, uh, the Funk Bridge Christmas store in 2004. 
working at oh, okay yeah, yeah Hernando said it was crazy said that Bruce was running around with armfuls of tinsel and candy canes uh-huh yeah and he was working this at the store though yeah that's what Hernando said can, can I ask you a favor sure what is it? Um, can you not say your friend's name like that anymore like how what's your friend's name Hernando can you can you not maybe roll the R as hard as you are? That's how he wants me to say it. I, I've heard him say it many times. He says, "Okay, well, well I'm, I, that's how I appreciate. That's how you friend Me amo Hernando. What's that? He says, "Me amo Hernando." Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna ask you respectfully if you. Okay. If maybe I I would like it if you didn't say it that oh, way. Oh no, sure, I understand. And, anyway, so uh, apparently he's. Bruce is working there one day, and these old women are really laying into him, really busting his bees. Mm-hmm. I guess he, he brought them the wrong color tinsel or something. They wanted green, and they gave them silver. Mm-hmm. They were so mean to him. And they had this, the store had this thing where whenever Santa Claus was coming to town, would come on the PA, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that Phil Spector version of the song. Okay, yeah. All the employees had to stop their work and sing along and do like a little dance that I guess they uh-huh. had come up with. Sure. I mean, obviously Bruce has done this song like a million times. It's like yes. huge in, in yeah. his catalog. Yep. You know? Anyway, he starts to sing and dance, but nobody in the store is into it. For some reason, they don't like it. Like they think he's, he's not good at it. So they start booing him until he stopped. Really? Yeah, they wanted the other stock boy to do it instead. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and also, you know, he, he did work very briefly around the time of Nebraska. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wh- where did he work then? Foot Locker Jive Turkey. I, I'm not, what store is that? Foot Locker Jive Turkey. What is that? Well, you know, it, 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 there's only one left in the country. Uh, uh-huh. uh, it, uh, it was in the old shops of Newbridge before it became Newbridge Commons. Okay. Yeah, they started in the night in the, like the mid seventies. It was an athletic shoe store founded by Rolf von Trimble. Okay. Yeah. Rolf, I know the von Trimble name. Yeah, the store was voted uh, the most racist store in the country. And what was it called? Foot Locker Jive Turkey. Foot lo- Okay. Well, what is the what is the kind of business focus for a Foot Locker Jive Turkey? Well, I you know I'm not even surely, like, but I, I think I think it uh, you know it's slanted. You know, not not entirely PC. Uh-huh. That's all I really know about it. Uh, there's only half of one left now. Half of a, ju- a Foot Locker Jive Turkey. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's it, it's still at Newbridge Commons, but it shares a uh, space with um, uh, a Gene Simmons yogurt pump. I've never eaten at one of those. Yeah, you shouldn't. It, it never looks fresh. No, no, it's, it sure doesn't. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's it's it said that Bruce tried to join the army six different times. Really? Yeah, he kept getting rejected. Why? Why was he trying to join the army? Just he just thought that that would be something to do, like that. That he could get he, he could get a college education. This is going. Mm-hmm. This is like in 1990, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was too old by then, I guess. He was actually trying to join the army in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you know, I've gone so far off course. Let's let's get back to the music, okay? Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. We, I we, should, he, let me just say for sure. everybody listening, we have uh, author Stephen Jennings. He's the author of a new book. It's called Darkness on the River's Edge in the USA, From Greetings to the Promise, Bruce Springsteen, the story behind the albums. That's right, yeah, yeah. And uh, what, well, what else do you well, have? You know, his, 
he has so many iconic videos. Yes. You know, especially uh, around the time of uh, Born in the USA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, remember the, the, the video for Glory Days? Yes, that was uh, like a rock performance video. Exactly, yeah. And it, it was shot at a, uh, a small club in Hoboken called Maxwell's. That's true. Yeah, and uh, there's a very interesting story about, about that day. There was actually a show scheduled for that night at, at Maxwell's, but the Glory Days video shoot went way over schedule, and, and the, the rock show had to be canceled. And, you know, Bruce was a young rocker in his day, and he knows how important that is that a band gets to keep their gig, and he felt very bad about about. Uh-huh. Uh, the band playing that night that they would have to lose their gig. So okay. um, to make it up to the band that was scheduled to play, Bruce hired them to play on a song on his next LP. Okay. And that's how the Meat Puppets ended up playing on the song One Step Up on Tunnel of Love. I, I didn't know the Meat Puppets played on, on the Tunnel of Love album at all. Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and of course, there's there's a a whole story behind the reason why most of the East readers didn't play on that record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that? Well, Bruce was very upset with those guys because he, um, he thought that they had stolen his uh, Wacky Package collection. Wait, hold on. Wacky packages, those kind of like stickers and mm-hmm. yeah. things that were like fake versions of uh, products. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Like I so can't he, remember any of them. Well, it you know. turned out that he had just misplaced them. Uh huh. Yeah, you know. But he fired. He thought he was the very entire. Mad. He thought the entire band stole the entire, it. Entire, in, in, yeah, in, in, including his uh, his wife, Pat. You know, Patty was in on it. He thought. Uh huh. So he cleaned house of the entire band. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So hey, you know, speaking of videos of the Born in the, the USA era. Yeah. The, the the first one, the most iconic of all of them, Dancing in the Dark. Oh yeah, with the dancing on stage with. Uh, a young Courtney Cox. Absolutely, and there's a there's a nice little story here. Uh, of course, the video was shot on the, on the first day of the, of that tour in uh, St. Paul, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, as we said, Bruce reaches down and he pulls up a young Courtney Cox, and they dance. And yeah. she was not the original choice for his dancing partner. Really? No. Who who was the original choice? Do you know? Lisa Welchel. Who's that? Uh, she played Blair on The Facts of Life. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl from the Facts of Life, absolutely, yeah, was supposed to be the one Bruce pulled out of the audience. Bruce absolutely loved that show. Uh huh. He adored it. Okay. Like to the point where, when they were recording the River, mm-hmm. all work stopped when when Facts of Life came on. Okay. Yeah, he, he gets these obsessions where he will just—that's all he cares about—is one specific thing. Okay. And, and he was particularly obsessed with the theme song for the Facts of Life, which, of course, was written by who? I don't know. Alan Thicke. Really? Absolutely, yeah. The comedian. Well, the, you know, the he had his own show. Uh, sure. Thick of the Night, etc. Yes, yes. Yeah. And there's actual audio floating around of Bruce singing the Facts of Life theme between vocal takes during the River Sessions. Really? You mean they, they take the good, you take yeah. the bad, you take them all? Oh, and there you have the Facts of Life. Is he that what it? it? Wow. Yeah, he loved it. And... Uh, but it, it, it's insane because it actually, he, Bruce actually became afraid that Alan Thicke was going to give up comedy for songwriting and try to pursue a career in rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he actually went as far as lobbying the networks to give Alan Thicke his own show so he wouldn't write any more songs. 
So Bruce was scared of what his uh, the competition? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was very he was very insecure about it. Wow, that's interesting. He, he did the same thing with John Mellencamp. How so? Um, he wrote a pilot episode for John Mellencamp called The Scarecrow Mysteries. He wrote a what? A, a pilot episode that he was pitching to networks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Basically, uh, Mellencamp is a rural cop specializing in farm murders. Um, I, I believe Trent L. Strauss directed the pilot. Very really? gruesome. Very sick. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So and you said it was sick? Yeah. Mellencamp actually knew nothing about it. He knew but, nothing about what? Uh, about the, the, this this TV show that Bruce was writing. He, I mean, he 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 had no part of it. He didn't know about it at all. And so, uh, the show actually did get sold to CBS, and they did shoot a pilot for it. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so so John Mellencamp was not in the show. No, Steve Forbert was. Steve For oh the singer Steve Forbert. Yeah, yeah, he starred in it. He played the lead detective or whatever. It would he be? did. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Detective wow. Detective Forbert. Forbort. Yeah, I guess he needed a name that was close enough to his real name so he could, I guess he could a answer when people called his name, you know? Sure. So, um, sure. Wow, that's the real, I, I'm, I'm shocked that Bruce is, Bruce Springsteen is so insecure. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, particular songs, there's very interesting little stories. I, I'd be glad to hit a couple of them if I, you have time. Look, I would love it. We have time. You know, the song Hungry Heart, that was, that was his first real hit single. Yes. Huge, and, huge and, hit. His voice sounds very different on that song. Yeah. Yeah. A lot well, of people think that it's because they very sped the, the actual master tape up like a, just a notch. Uh-huh. That's not true, though. Okay. Is there no. a truth behind it? Well, he actually wrote the song for the Ramones after seeing the Ramones. Mm -hmm. The story is, and then John Landau convinced him to keep it. And um, he, he did it, but he wasn't really getting the energy that he that he needed for it that he wanted so um his voice actually sounds higher because he wore children's underwear when he sang it i'm sorry he wore children's underwear children's underwear yeah because they were tighter and i guess they would make you uncomfortable enough to sing in a higher yeah, register exactly yeah oh you know yeah dylan did the same thing on nashville skyline he sang in children's underwear. Yeah, he wore, uh, I think he wore his nephew's uh, underoos. I have never heard that. They were they were prototype underoos, I think. I, they didn't really get marketed until, yeah. I think, eight, eight years later. This yeah. is a very, this is all new to me. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, I thought I knew a fair amount about rock music. Well, you know, the song Rosalita. Yes. You know, it, it, it's about forbidden love. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a little more forbidden than than we were led to believe. How so? Well, actually, it turns out that Rosalita was not only a man, but also an escaped war criminal. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, an escaped war criminal. His name was Horst. Yeah. So, like a German guy. Exactly. He went he went to uh, Uruguay and uh, to get a sex change, and then he ends up somehow he ends up in the East Rutherford. And this is—that's th what Rosalita is about. Oh yeah, yeah. It's about a guy falling in love mm -hmm. with a guy, yeah, who used to be a, a woman who used to be a guy, uh -huh. who before was also a war criminal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know what the East Street Shuffle is about, right? I don't. It's about with your now. All night long. You, you can't say that on the radio, please. You can't say what? 
half of the things you just said there. Oh, you what? You need to bleep me for, for like a word in that? Absolutely. Oh, please, if you're gonna. Okay. Give I'm me sorry. A, give me a heads. Try to clear the things with me before you just go ahead and say them, please. Okay. Well, there's another song that. Uh, is, is very important in, in his uh, oeuvre also. Uh, okay. Incident at 57th Street, uh-huh. which is about when he... Now, you can't say that... On his... Lotion. Spanked. Again, you cannot say this. Arlo Guthrie. Pizza. Please, please, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. What? Please, please How realize. How much of that did you, did you, did you censor? All but uh, probably three words of it. Okay, okay. Well, let's go to a different thing. Okay, uh, please. You know how he's called the boss? Yes. It's actually not, a, you know, like a boss boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, what is it, it? it's actually a, an, an acronym. Really? Yes, like, yeah. Like B-O-S-S. Exactly, yeah. Like it stands for something. Yeah, it, it, it comes from his days when he had the, 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 a band called uh, Steel Mill. Yes. And uh, the, the, the guys in the band would really rib each other a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, they tease each other and they'd give as good as they got. And then... Um, one day, someone said, uh, "Hey, Bruce. You know, guys, Bruce orally. Hey, I probably can't say the next word, right? Bruce orally. Can I email you the the, the, the word? Can you email me sure, the word? Yeah, just to make sure that it's I can say it. You know what? Yes, that's a pretty good. That's a good okay. idea. Okay, I've got your thing here. Hang okay. On. Okay, Senate. Okay. Right, let me see if it's showing up yet. Let's see here. Okay, not yet. Try it again. Hit refresh, not yet. Okay. Refresh. Okay, here it is. No, you can't say that word. Oh, okay. Um, how about how about this next word? You're emailing it to me again? Yeah, just send okay. It. Did you send it yet? I did. Yeah. Okay. Let me just check it here. All right, it hasn't shown up yet. Okay, not yet. Should be from Mr. Fahrenheit at yahoo.com. Yeah. What is that, by the way? Excuse me? What is that name? Mr. Fahrenheit? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what they is, call me. They call you Mr. Fahrenheit? Yeah. Why? Not yet. Why do they call you Mr. Fahrenheit? What do you think? I have no idea. It's, a, it's actually from a Queen song that I'm uh-huh. sure you've never heard of. Oh, what's it called? It's called Don't Stop It Now. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Stop Me Now. What's n- what? It's Don't Stop It Now. It's Don't Stop Me Now. No, it's not. 
Still hasn't shown up yet. Oh, here it is. Jeez, okay. Yes, you can say that word. Okay, strangers. So Bruce orally... Blank strangers. Yeah, okay. That's where the the boss came from. Exactly, yeah. It, It stuck somehow. Wow. Yeah. That is ridiculous. It, 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 it's interesting. It's not ridiculous. You know uh, what is also very interesting? What's that? We all know that Bruce was, was originally supposed to write the music for the uh, Paul Schrader film, Born on the Fourth of July. That's true, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, the story of Ron Kovic, the Vietnam War uh, veteran. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce was hard at work on, on the soundtrack until he saw a, a rough cut of, of the film. Mm-hmm. Bruce has a very weak stomach. Okay. And he reacted very negatively to the scene where uh, Kovic has sex in a wheelchair. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's interesting, though. He had no problem with the actual sex act. What did he have a problem with? Well, in that shot, while it's happening, the woman puts out her cigarette in a bottle of beer. Mm-hmm. And there's like a kind of tight shot on the action. But the bottle is very prominent. And as the bottle sits there getting murkier and murkier, the, the, the cigarette disintegrates, and this just made Bruce incredibly nauseous. Really? He actually started puking. Wow. And he ended up quitting the project. Because of that scene? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Of a cigarette Ugh, going out in a beer yeah. bottle. You, if, listen, if you ever meet him, which I'm sure you won't, um, don't ever bring that up. He'll puke on you. I've seen, him, I've seen it happen. Okay, I won't yeah. bring it up. Yeah, here's some in- interesting Bruce trivia. Uh huh. When Jason Newstead left Metallica, mm-hmm. Bruce tried out. Tried out for what? For bass. For bass in Metallica. Yeah, yeah. He was a big fan of the Black Album, and uh, uh-huh. he, uh, for a long time, he used it as his psych up music at the gym and before he went on stage. He would listen to Metallica. Yeah, yeah. To get pumped up. Absolutely, and so he tries out, but he he, he didn't get the gig. Mainly because he auditioned on a Telecaster with just with heavier strings, he thought that would sound more like a bass. Uh huh. Yeah, but he did know all the songs, and uh, for, I saw an interview with James Hetfield once where he said that Bruce was the best of any of the guys that tried out on the song "Battery." Very fast song. Yes, it's pretty. Yeah. But he tried out with a with a uh, with a guitar. Yeah, but he he just put like I guess all all E strings, the, you know, the thick the thick E string on all the strings. I, I have never heard that. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course he was very upset not to get the gig, but mm-hmm. you know, he didn't hold any grudges. He actually enlisted uh, Robert Trujillo, the guy that did get the job, uh, to play on the Pete Seeger tour. Robert, the, the bass player for Metallica. Yeah, but he, uh, Robert Trujillo couldn't do it. Uh huh. Yeah, um, because he couldn't find an authentic basketball uniform from that era to wear on stage. Because he wears basketball jerseys on stage. Yep. So he needed to find an old. He couldn't find one from the fifties or what or no, the forties. Yeah, yeah, it's uh-huh. weird. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, you'd think because he was a millionaire, he'd be able to afford one. Right. Um, he did get a million dollars. I think. I think that that was in that movie, wasn't it? He gets. He gets a million dollars. Yeah, they hand right. him a million dollars. The band. Yeah. I thought it was a very. Not to get it off the subject of Bruce Springsteen, I thought that was a very classy act. Wasn't it? It, it was, but it, it it was almost like like Doctor Evil. Uh huh. You know, one million dollars that they gave him. That they gave him, yeah, yeah. Tom, yeah. what's Bruce's biggest song? What's like the song you think of when you you think of Bruce? When you think of Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, born in the USA? No. I mean, close. born to run? Born to run, yeah, yeah. BTR. You know? yeah. It's not widely known, mm-hmm. this little bit of trivia. You know, the common knowledge is that uh, it's the one song on that album that Max Weinberg did not play drums on. Yes, that's true. Um, Bruce's former drummer, Ernie Carter, plays on it, right? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had heard that I thought it was the, the guy before him. That's what everybody thinks. Uh-huh. You know who played on it? I have no idea. Mickey Dolenz. From the Monkees? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He played drums on Born to Run. He did, yeah, yeah. Bruce was a big fan of Mickey's drumming, of course, with the Monkees, but also the sessions he did with uh, Bob Dylan, Mick Taylor, uh, Steely Dan. Mickey Dolan's drummed with all those guys? Yeah, he, he plays uncredited on, I think, about every song on Pretzel Logic. I didn't know he played with... St- I thought he was a terrible drummer from oh, all no, accounts. Oh, no, no, no. You know that, that, that little thing in uh, Born to Run? There's, there's this little figure that, that's just mind-blowing that, to this day, Max cannot play and is, willfully admits that he can't play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, apparently, Mickey was actually asked to be in the E-Treat band, but uh, he couldn't do it because he had too much charity work to do. Really? Yeah. That's what kept Mickey Dolenz from joining the E-Treat band Absolutely. as a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is all news to me. Can, I know. Can I ask you a question, sir? Sure. Yeah. Are these all lies you're telling me? Lies? No. Why would you say that? I've just written a book. Because they're all very outsized. They're just no. They're just it, it's it's like you know it's secret knowledge. It's the secret history of Bruce Springsteen. It's all true though. I couldn't make this stuff up. Okay, uh, my, uh, my apologies. My apologies. Okay. Well, Darkest on the Edge of Town, the album. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that album took so long to come out yeah. was because at the time, Bruce was in the running to replace Henry Winkler as Fonzie. On Happy Days. Yeah, yeah. Bruce was going to play... Fonzie. Why were they, they were going to get rid of? They were because you know Henry Winkler was just exploding. I mean, he was he was huge at that point, uh-huh. and he was apparently being a real hard ass. Uh-huh. And Gary Marshall was just like, "Fine, we'll just get someone else." You know, it's it's the jacket is the star, not you. Uh-huh. I actually said that, and uh, so it was down between Springsteen and Pacino. Oddly enough, <laughs> Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. Who at that point had done Godfather movies? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was into it for some reason. He wanted to cross over to that teen market, I guess. And uh, I, I guess they worked it out, though. Obviously, Henry Winkler stayed, but Bruce did, I think, seven or eight screen tests. To play? To play Fonzie, yeah. I've never heard that. And, of course, he had to shave his beard off to, to do the auditions. And mm. uh, uh, he actually thought that the beard would make him sing higher. That less you know, less scratchy. That's that's the thing about Bruce. It's very odd. He he does, he has a very odd way of looking at things. Uh huh. Like to, to you and I, that would make no difference on someone's voice if they don't have a beard. Of course not. But he's he's very he has that genius brain that's super overdeveloped in some ways, but very not in other ways. Okay. And this is a bombshell. Do the, the character of Tracy Jordan on Thirty Rock? Sure, played by Tracy Morgan. That that's uh, that's based on on Bruce. That character on yeah. Thirty Rock, yeah, is based on Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. Like an example, 
You know how the crowd yells Bruce every night at him? Uh-huh. uh-huh. You know, they're going Bruce. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like booing, but for like one second you might think that, but then you realize that these people have all paid $100 to come to this. They're not going to boo him. They're saying his name. Yeah. To this day, Bruce does think they're booing. Really? Yeah. He said, th- can you explain? He he thinks that when he goes out on a show, mm-hmm. he, he thinks that's booing? Yeah. Every night since that started, I want to say maybe at the beginning of the Darkness tour, you know, the, the first thing that happens when he goes off stage after the show, uh-huh. he goes right into his dressing room and he, th- he goes ape-ass hit. He throws a tantrum because he's so upset about the booing. Uh-huh. To this day, every night still. And then this r- ritual occurs where each guy goes I- I- of the band goes in the dressing room individually to tell him that they were yelling his name, Bruce, and not booing. And at the beginning of every of the next night, he always forgets it. He forgets it. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. No. Hey, speaking of, of, of pre-show rituals, yeah. here's what he does every night. He eats as many of those miniature Three Musketeers bars as he can. Uh-huh. And then he does like 150 push-ups. And after, then he, got, he guzzles a Coke. After eating all these candy bars. Yeah, and then everyone else in the band just hightails it out of that room as soon as it happens. Because... They, they say he becomes like a rabid bear. A, okay, I didn't know yeah. bears could be rabid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, here, here's an example of, of him kind of having that weird brain thing. And it's another great example of John Landau keeping things on a smooth course. Bruce always has these outrageous ideas for merchandise. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he has these incredible, like, crazy designs for T-shirts. Like, he, he had designed and wanted to make, and, and did a prototype, a shirt that you can also drive like a motorcycle. I, I, I'm not following you. Yeah, there, you, you wouldn't. It's crazy. But he actually designed one, but the gasoline required to fuel the shirt made the colors run, and it was just unusable. So you would wear something that had gasoline in it? You would pour the gasoline into like, like a pocket kind of area, but it would, it would fuel the, the mini engine of the shirt that you could also drive. I, I, don't, know how, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it, it's nuts, isn't it? That is nuts. Kind of wild, yeah. Um, you know the Born in the USA cover? Can we go back to the shirt that yeah, you sure. drive? Sure. He made an actual version of it? Yeah. And was he able to drive that? He was, apparently. He, he, got, he drove it. I think, I think the story is it, drove, it went for 30 feet. He, that he drove yeah. the and shirt then, he designed. Yeah, it was, back, it was like in the parking lot of a... Of a I feel like it was the Omni in Atlanta, and he lost control of it, and it, he shot it into uh, into a, a, a tour bus that was waiting to unload a bunch of fans. You know, they had a charter uh, a tour bus to come to the show, and I think a couple of people got killed, decapitated. It's crazy. I don't know. He just shot it out there. So he yeah. murdered people. I he technically didn't murder them. 
Well, I mean, it was in the name of science. I think that's that's what it was ruled as. It was ruled as what? In the name of science, you know, that's it was like death by science or something. I don't know. I've never heard of that as a ruling on anything. And I guess down in Georgia they have this other way of doing things. It's it was very lucky, I guess. In the name of science. Yeah. So if 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 some that's like he was not charged with anything because people died in the name of science. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. You know what's interesting? What's that? Bruce Springsteen does not own BruceSpringsteen.com. Really? It's crazy, isn't it? That is crazy. Some some guy who was the bane of Bruce's existence bought it super early. I guess when you know when domains were first going up for sale and people thought that that would be valuable. Yeah. So he's never owned it. He has BruceSpringsteen.net. Uh huh. Oh, and he's so mad, this guy. So. What happened was, when he got burnt on that, he started up buying tons of domains. He owns Rush.com. Bruce Springsteen does. Yeah, so that they have to pay him. Like, it's like an insane amount, like a million bucks a year. Totally, he, he sticks it to them. He even bought uh, G.G. Allen and the Texas Ends.com. Wow. Yeah, but, but his, his biggest rival, uh-huh. Steve Martin. The it, the comedian. Yes, they hate each other. Really? Yeah, because he bought SteveMartin.com. Because Bruce bought SteveMartin.com. Yeah, yeah, they hate each other. And, you know, Steve makes those those uh, banjo records, you know, yes. that people say that they're into even though they're not. Yeah. You know? Yep, yep. And um, that's why Bruce put that Pete Seeger record together, because he knew that Steve Martin was going to put out a full-on banjo record, and he wanted uh-huh. to, he wanted to, you know, smash that before it happened so just to back up a second yeah sure bruce buys mm-hmm. bruce bruce misses out on bruce springsteen.com yep has to go with bruce springsteen.net so uh, the way he handles that yeah is to punish other celebrities sure yeah by buying their domain names that's just how yeah he has a, a, a odd way of doing things and um of uh, you know, another very odd example of his how he deals with things. Um, you know how Bruce does not ever have an opening act? That's true, yeah. He he, he will never do that. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why? He's afraid that the opening act is going to steal his stuff while he's on stage. His stuff? Yeah. You mean like what? His I guess his wallet or his, you know, his bags and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's very afraid of that. That's why he, is, that's why he never has opening acts. Yeah. Because he's worried that people are going to steal his stuff. Yeah. Wow. You know why he's worried about that? I have no idea. Because that's what he did when he opened for Chicago. What, what did he do? He stole all their stuff. He would go through their pants while they were on stage, like their street pants, uh-huh, and uh-huh. take their wallets and their change and their keys. That, that was his big thing, was stealing people's keys. Because for... then they're screwed. Yeah. They can't, they can't get in their own houses. That's what he did. That's what he would do. The guys in the East Street Band would call him um, the Riflerman. The what? The Riflerman, you know, like the Rifleman, but yeah. he would actually, you know, he, he would rifle through people's stuff. The Riflerman. Yeah, no, I get it. I get okay. it now. Oh, gee. Yeah. Oh, well, don't jump on me. I'm not. I was just that. Okay. I've never heard any of these stories. Yeah, it's crazy. I say. Can, I ask you, uh, can I ask you a question? Sure, sure. Again. Yeah. Are you lying to me? What are you? Not, of course not. Okay, I just look. These are 
I know a lot about this stuff. I've never heard any of these. Stories. It's very interesting stuff. Well, it's, it's it's inner circle stuff. You you wouldn't really know about it. And I, I'm not I'm not judging you for that. But you, mm-hmm. there's no reason for you to know about it. Like you okay. wouldn't know about the story behind why he hasn't played. Uh, I'm going down for almost two decades. And why is that? Well, the reason he didn't play for about 20 years was because he gambled away the publishing rights. The publishing to the song "I'm yeah. Going Down." Yeah, it was on. I, I think it was on, on the "Born in the USA" tour. He that where he gambled the rights away. Yeah, he, he Bruce would carry around these little hamsters on the road, and he would have hamster races, and uh-huh. he he'd get people to gamble with him on it, like on you know betting on these hamster races. Really? Little, he put little uh, you know capes on them and stuff. And these little hamsters would be running around with capes on them. Uh huh. Yeah. And he would do betting on on who'd win a, a like a race. Exactly. Yeah. And one night he uh, he gambled away the rights to "I'm Going Down." Uh huh. Yeah. That that and "Blinded by the Light" ended up being owned for about two decades by uh, Jeff Speakman, the action star from the eighties. Yeah. 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 Really. Yeah. He owns the publishing on which songs? Uh, I'm going down and yeah. blinded by the light. I think it's reverted back to Bruce by this point, so I th- he had started playing them again. Okay. Yeah. But so for a long time, this dude owned the guy Jeff Speakman, the action star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Bruce was very upset about it, so he would, he didn't play either of those songs. Uh huh. Yeah. Because Bruce lost some hamster races. Yeah, yeah. The- Bruce also has this weird thing where if he smells something odd when he meets you, mm-hmm. he can't not think of you and that smell together like okay. whenever he sees you again uh-huh like he got a weird whiff of burnt spoiled eggs when he met tom cruise yeah and now he doesn't want tom cruise to come anywhere near him like it shows because he associates him with that um that that bad that bad smell oh 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 what what's going on what are you doing what get out of my office Hello? 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 Who's this? This is Tom Sharpling from WFMU. It's time for the interview, right? What's that? It's time for our interview, yes? Who's this? Who do you think it is? I have an interview with you. Who is this? What? I was just talking to Stephen Jennings. No, this is Stephen Jennings. Who is? This is. This is No, I was just talking to Stephen. Who is this? This is Stephen Jennings. I've been on the radio with Stephen for about an hour now. No, you haven't. Oh, I can't believe he did this. That was my plumber, Rick. Who was? The guy that just ran out of the out of the room. I saw him in here talking on the phone. Who? Who? Wait, the guy I've just been talking to. How long were you talking to him? About fifty minutes. You're kidding. What did he say? We talked all about the book. My book? Yeah. Oh, no. What did he say about it? What did he say? We, we talk, he talked all kinds of details about it, like he's telling all different stories about Bruce. About Bruce? He doesn't even like Bruce Springsteen. Who doesn't? Br- Rick. Your pl- that was your plumber I was talking to. Yeah, he was making fun of Bruce the other day, so I made him a Bruce 101 comp tape. Uh-huh. The next day I found it under my toilet. He used it as a giant washer. So he didn't even... Doesn't even like it. He likes big band music. This is confusing. 
He made me a mixtape the other day. It had Artie Shaw on it. Uh-huh. Something called Barbershop Sweat. Yeah. Dorf the Golfer. Dorf the that's a rap guy. I guess so, yeah. Uh-huh. Dorf the, the, Dorf the, 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 the gentleman arsonist. Yeah, that's another Who are rapper. these people? That's a rap so so he made you a mixed thing that was sounds like it was half hip hop. The gentleman arsonist? Yeah. He's good actually. And who Dorf de Golfa is good too. I don't like any of it. Uh-huh. Bad stuff. It's not Bruce. Uh-huh. So what did he say about Bruce? What's that? What did he say about Bruce? Oh, he told uh, like uh stories about He was talking all about the feud he has with Steve Martin over the domain names. What? What else? Um he was talking a lot about how Bruce worked at, like, Halloween superstores and, and stuff like that. What? what why are you what, saying... What else? Um, what are some of the other stories he was telling? He was talking all about where, uh, the, you know, Mickey Dolan's drumming on, uh, on the original recording of Born to Run. What? Oh, my God. Well... What? Can I talk about the book? To just, uh, I don't want to do any, any damage to my reputation. I want him to do the damage. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to make this right to you, okay? I feel bad that uh, you've been horribly misled by him. Well, the, what do you mean, I've been misled? It sounds like you got a, a, a lot of false information, what he was pulling on you. So those stories you just, those stories that, you, you, not you, the guy posing is you, your plumber? Yes. He was. Those were not actual stories from your book. Good God, no! It sounds like he was he was feeding you a whole line. Okay. I don't get it. Well, well, that was a huge. Uh, he was on with for fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, talking oh all about the book. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, I can I can I talk a little bit about 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 the real book? You know what? Sure. Okay. So we have we have the actual Stephen Jennings now That's on right. the line. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, basically my book is about, in a nutshell, how uh, Bruce brings about the type of feeling that calls for redemption of the the untouchables in the world. Uh, this forms the main corpus of lyrics and music that respond to the often. Uh, deeper troubles that youth sought within the often depressing and economically downturned post-Nixon era of American culture. Um, Bruce is not above singing the more carefree traditional songs of someone like Little Richard, uh, but you know he's more apt to be singing about the quest for freedom from authority. Uh, after all, Bruce came from a middle-class background and had known the suffering of being without money or having a place to live. For instance, in Born to Run, Springsteen uses a lyrical example of the desperation of youth culture as the confines of social norms drive the young people to reach beyond barriers through escaping cultural isolationism. Mm-hmm. And uh, Excuse me? Um, okay, good. What's wrong? D- 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 is it okay? Um, go ahead. Uh, uh, sorry, I mean to interrupt. That's that's basically the oh. gist of it. Oh. But it sounds like you're not. Can I can I ask you a question? Yes. Is you, is Rick around? Why? 
Um, I think I hear him out there, actually. Can I talk to Rick for just one minute? I just want to straighten this out. Sure. Rick, get in here. Hello? Rick? Yeah. You're the plumber. Why were you... Are you mad at me? Yeah, I I kind of am mad at you. Why? Because you lied to me for the whole length of an interview. Well, I thought thought it it would be funny. I thought it would be interesting to talk about Bruce on the radio. Uh Uh-huh. And I just thought, I don't know, I thought that would be fun stuff to talk about. Were you making that stuff up? Yeah. All of it? It was kind of cool, though, wasn't it? You made all of that up. I did make all of it up, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, it's it's kind oh. of impressive. Oh, thanks. I, I know. Well, it was fun. You know, I, I I was fixing his garbage disposal and his toity today. Uh huh. And I saw the the note on his appointment book about about the interview. Okay. So um, he he went out out of the house to get some some food. So I I, call, I called in when he you was, moved it up on was, you. Moved I did. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of funny, wasn't it? Well, it's a huge way. You know. I will say this though, you you made that even up. Is there even a store Footlocker? What's it called? Footlocker Jive Turkey? Yeah, no, no. There's no such thing as that. No, I made that up. Yeah, I didn't think so. Oh. I, I mean, I, th- I thought I, that's shocking. I'd never heard of it, but I started to buy it from there you. There was one thing that I didn't make up. What's that? That his his book comes out at nine p.m. on Christmas. Really? Yeah. Isn't that wow. stupid. That is really stupid. I know he's such an idiot. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh oh. What? Steve doesn't look very good. Well, Steve, I gotta say this again between us. Yeah. Steve, Steve seems a little boring. Well, he's got worse problems than that right now. What's that? He's a little green. Green. Yeah. How? How? What do you mean green? Well, when he bursted in and I ran out. Uh huh. When he discovered me here. Yeah. I went into his water supply for yeah. the house, okay, and I put acid in it. Acid. Yeah, when he was talking to you, and he took a he just took a big drink of water. So I you guess. you put what like acid the the uh, hallucinogen or the, yes. the or the poison like yes. the, the both both yeah both I, kinds of acid yeah you put in his water supply. I did yes, and now he is. Not horizontal. Uh, he he is he is horizontal. He's not vertical right now. Uh-huh. Oh jeez, and that is that should not be coming out of a human's mouth. Oh boy. Um, look, I'm going to boogie. Let me just get my tools. Um, if you are ever in need of any plumbing, uh, please call Rick Felton at Rick Felton's Plumbing and Plumbing. Okay. Okay. And as I said, you could reach me at uh, Mr. Fahrenheit at Yahoo.com. And he looks dead. Uh oh. Okay, got a boogie. I got, I'm born to run. Maybe okay. forever. Okay. I thought. Oh. Wow. There you go. That was strange. So, in the course of that, we heard. If I just back up, we heard an interview with the the author of the Bruce Springsteen book, who was not the author of the Bruce Springsteen book. Then the guy. He made everything up. The other dude was the actual author, and then the first guy murdered him. Wow. How about that, Mike? 
You like that? You're going to buy that book? I wish I could get the book that was the the one of the stuff he made up. Yeah. Wow. How about that? It's crazier than a uh, like the uh, the veritable uh, bleep house rat. Thanks for listening to another episode of Best Show Gems. This is a sampling of the full three-hour Best Show on WFMU, which can be heard each and every Tuesday night live at WFMU.org. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. until midnight Eastern Standard Time. You can listen anywhere on the globe at WFMU.org. If you're in the New York area, you can listen over your radio at 91.1. If you're in the Hudson Valley area, outside of New York City, check out the show at 90.1 and if you need more information on the show go to friendsoftom.com that is the best show on WFMU website I want to thank a few people who are uh, instrumental in making sure this show takes place every other week I want to thank Martin DeGrell who is the executive producer of Best Show Gems and the curator of this program thank you Martin Mel Matsuoka who is the uh, the man who has been in charge of the entire Best show on WFMU archiving for ages now. He is the architect behind this whole thing. None of it would be happening without you, Mel. Thank you so much. John Worcester, of course. Thank you for all the stuff uh, you do and we do together. You're the funniest dude alive. AP Mike for all your work helping keep the show running smoothly. I want to thank Spoonie for coming up with the Best Show Gems logo. And again, if you want to listen to a full episode of the Best Show on WFMU, Go to WFMU.org. There are archives up there covering the entire decade plus of the best show on WFMU. They're all waiting up there for you to listen to at WFMU.org. And thank you for listening to this, and we hope to uh, have you hear us soon. I don't know if you're hearing it or not. I'm going to assume you are. So thank you so much, and uh, we will see you soon. Hi. Hi.